Welcome to the show. John Merchant, uh, frontman for the new band Ghosts of Sunset. They have a new EP coming out called Headed West. There's a song released from it now called Miles In Between. Uh, but I got to tell you, I heard the whole EP and it's great. Uh, I actually like the more rocking songs uh, best, but the whole EP is good. And it was a lot of fun uh, chatting with John and talking music. We talk about his influences and his life in the music business. He's played in different bands for 30 years. Uh, it's pretty cool stuff. There are some deep cuts in this episode, some lesser known bands that we talk about. But if you listen to my show, you you know my musical tastes. And even if you don't like this, this kind of music, I still feel like it's a good interview just talking about music in general and entertainment in the world. It's such an important thing. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview with John Merchant from Ghosts of Sunset. Check it out. Uh, welcome, John Merchant, uh, from singer from Ghosts of Sunset. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm good. How are you, brother? Great. Just great. So, yeah, let's dive right in. Um, so you've, you've got 30 years in the music business, you said, right? This didn't, you know, you don't get this kind of stuff just, you know, starting yesterday. You know? Right. Okay. So let's <laughs> let's start at the beginning then. So as a child, young child, you were influenced by the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Elvis, Little Richard, all the kind of the '60s stuff. Then, right? Right. Right. Even though you know, um, I kind of came up a fan of of that style of music. You know, the roots of rock and roll. And I think what happened is I had a couple young friends growing up who like had i think they had an uncle or something who you know bailed out moved out of their out of his house and left a bunch of 45s you know little records and so we got into the beatles and the stones and all the west coast surf music and um so i was always out of step with my peers right away you know i mean when you're in second grade in the 70s you know nobody wants to talk about jan and dean you know they want to talk oh, about the Bee Gees or whatever right. was hip you know or well, so so I was always out of step. Yeah, you said the uh, rock and roll uh, music volumes one and two from the Beatles. That kind of changed your life. Uh, it was a collection of uh, covers that the Beatles had been playing. I don't know if I've even heard those songs. Um, it's really cool, man. It, it, there were like volume one and two. It was, you know, albums, obviously, at that time. But yeah. um, it had all these covers, Chuck Berry covers. And, you know, the Beatles were covering a lot of girl group stuff. You know, um, everything from... You know, they were doing stuff like the Supremes and the Shangri-Las and Martha and the Vandellas. You know, they were covering all that kind of music. And so now I'm hooked on the Beatles and I'm also hooked on, you know, music even prior oh. to the Beatles, per se. So that's really what turned me on, man. I, I loved it. I love that early rock and roll. So you that was a game changer. Are you still a Beatles fan now? Like, have you seen the Beatles love show in Vegas? No, I haven't. Oh. Um, I'm first of all, I'm a huge Beatles fan to this day, of course. That's great. And um, but uh, you know, there was something, there was something I saw not too long ago or a while back. Now that I think about it, but it was like some Beatle, and it might even even it was like a a movie about the Beatles. You know, oh, like where yeah. the Beatles music was used and they had dialogue and stuff. There's a lot of those. And uh, yeah, right. And um, you know, for me, the Beatles were so sacred, I could almost not uh. You know, that was hard for me to take. That's sacred stuff, you know, right. sacred ground for no, me. No, I'm a Beatles fan, too. I'm, I don't know if you can see the uh, Abbey Road thing on my <laughs> wall. But, well, and your T-shirt tells me you like some Beatles influence, too. Yes. Yeah, no, Donnie V, I've had him on a couple times, and he's, I love his songwriting. It's very Beatle influence, for sure. Well, and, you know, those guys, you know, Chip and Donnie and Enough's Enough, and, and you know, those guys, of course, I picked up on that kind of music. It was the music of my generation. I mean, obviously, that 1980s 
um, rock and roll and uh, that Sunset Strip scene was really my thing. Uh, but I, you know, like a band like Enough's Enough, I could connect with right away because they had that Beatle influence. So they had my ear already. Sure. You know? Melodic, very poppy. So you've been writing and recording, performing and touring with your partner, uh, Todd Long, who he was the drummer in that band, The Verb Pipe. He told me, he's like, that was that the hit song was before I was in there or whatever, but still it's cool <laughs> that he was in that band. I mean, they have that song. Um, the, was it called the freshman? The freshman. Song? Yeah. Yeah. So for 30 years, that's a long time to be involved. How did you guys get together? how did you meet? Todd and I met in high school. Um, oh, he's wow. a couple of years younger than I am. And, um, we were, you know, we kind of moved in the same circles in high school musicians and, and, uh, you know, back then, it was really, you know, there were two sides of the road. You know, we had the kids who were into like alternative rock and, um, you know, we called it progressive music, whatever, college rock, whatever it was. And then you had the guys who were really into this, what I, un, you know, I, no one's come up with a better term yet than hair metal, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but Todd and I were both into that. And so we bonded right away over bands, you know. Everyone liked the big bands, you know, like Motley and Rat and Poison at the time. And Todd and I were the we were the guys who were listening to Faster Pussycat and Pretty Boy Floyd and Vane and all this stuff off the strip that were, you know, maybe not as uh, as household as some of the other bands, you know. Okay. So we bonded over that right away. Right. We were, no, I so, love all those. I, I I know those are some deep cuts, but I you're speaking my language. I mean, some of my yeah, listeners right. might be like, who the hell? But no, yeah, I love all those. A lot of the deeper, but like Rocks Gang and like all these like bands that, I mean, if you really keep digging, you can find a lot, lot more of this quote, unquote, like you said, hair metal. There's tons of- I don't know. Do you yeah. have a better word for it? Is, well, has anyone come up with anything for us? I asked you know? uh, uh, Marcus Scott. I've had him a couple, a couple times. He's a drummer, a trickster. And uh, I said, yeah. are you offended by that term? He's like, nah, but like, we just called it arena rock. So- Right. But for like me, arena rock was Boston journey. Ario Speedway. Know, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a little but, bit different too. Yeah, for sure. No, I think, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the, I mean, glam rock, I guess maybe that's another term. Right. And, and you know, it's too bad. And that's this whole ghost of sunset thing that really got us is, you know, um, you know, we're paying homage to this kind of music, you know, we're paying respect to it. Um, it flows through us. It's every bit as important to us as I'm sure, you know, Chuck Berry and, and little Richard and, and that stuff was to the generations before us, or mm -hmm. the Beatles were to someone like Donnie V, yeah. you know, he's his influence. Donnie V's influence is as important to me as probably John Lennon's influence was to Donnie V. Right. Um, and so, you know, over the years, and you know, this being a fan of this kind of music, you know, we've taken some heat, you know, there's been this, there was a, I don't want to say comical element to it, but you know, as well as I do it, it got overblown at some point. Right. Right. And, um, what people seem to miss is how great the songs were, how good the songwriting was, how amazing the live shows were, you know? And, uh, so our job we think is to, uh, to celebrate that music, but also have the other influences we've gathered over the last 30 years of making music, you know, 40 years of listening to music. Yeah. So let's talk about that because uh, you've been in some other bands, uh, uh, Dutch Henry. Tell me about that band. What was that? That you were in that for quite a while, right? For years. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of now what they call uh, Americana music or alt country music. And hmm. basically, you know, it's 
it's rock and roll guitars with a little more emphasis on the, you know, the lyrical content, the song, you know, the folkiness and the songwriting. And that music's been around. I mean, as long as, you know, since the sixties, there were bands like the birds and uh, the band and the flying burrito brothers. These were bands that were taking rock and roll elements and putting country with it. The stones, you know, the stones, Rolling Stones did that. Elvis. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, all of that. It was just for us, you know, just like Ghost of Sunset, it, it, it's supposed to be a hybrid of everything you've ever loved. You know, you're supposed to hear if someone says to us, you know, hey, I hear, you know, I hear some rocks gang in there, you know, which no one besides you might. <laughs> yeah, I did actually. Yeah. Um, okay. So was that covers then or was it originals or both or? It was both, but okay. mostly original. We toured, you know, behind a couple records. We had a couple releases. We toured behind those, you know, all original stuff. But we still, just like any struggling band, we were out playing some cover gigs too, sure. you know. And our covers might be, you know, could be everything from Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, Willie Nelson to The Replacements, Fountains of Wayne, hmm. um, ACDC. You know, we were all over the map. And I can tell you and. You know, in the mid 1990s, you know, people looked at you like you were from Mars if you were playing Johnny Cash and ACDC. You know, it just hadn't really people hadn't come to respect that sort of, okay. you know, mixture of music. So, so if you're you're in this band, it's kind of like a country outlaw kind of music. And, right. you're, and you're doing like Fountains of Wayne in that kind of style is what you're saying. Right. Oh, right. That sounds you pretty know, cool, I, actually. I, you know, have you I ever think, heard of a band called the Me, Me First and the Gimme Gimme's? No, but I like the name already. Yeah, so it's like they're like a punk band, and all they do is covers, but they do all these different styles of music, but in their style of like punk, it's like fast punk, cool. and they just do everything—country, pop, you know, disco, all this stuff—and every album is a different style of music. It's pretty cool. So that's not—I I like that when people, you know, do different styles of music in their style, you know, like a country version right. of Stacy's Mom. I've never heard that, so that'd be kind of cool, right? Well, you know, there's a band, you know, Social Distortion, uh, kind of an old old school punk band, yeah. you know, um, and they, you know, Orange County punk band that they were doing it too. You know, they were, they had a cover of Ring of Fire um, by Johnny Cash. They had all that influence. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's kind of what we, we did with Dutch Henry. And when we, you know, Todd and I started Ghost of Sunset, of course it was, its roots were in that 1980s, again, hair metal glam rock you know whatever you call it arena yeah. rock but it was okay for us to open up you know lyrically and have the stories unfold more like like you might hear singer songwriter stuff folk music even do you know real emphasis on story the great songs from that era had an emphasis emphasis on story whatever the story was mm -hmm. the story might just be girls 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 right i mean that might be the it's good tune. The subject matter yeah. great tune um but the stuff that really survived had that had some strong songwriting and story, you know, mm -hmm. and that's the stuff we liked the most. Absolutely. You know? So, and then it there wasn't, was a, yeah, ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and there was another band you were in. Tell, tell me about this band, White Rabbit. It was, it, yeah, it just no, says uh, waving the flag band. of old school rock and uh, high and proud. Yeah. And what that is, is basically 60s, 70s rock and roll. Okay. So that's, that's um, a cover band. Uh, actually, the guitar player was in a, um, a band on RCA records called Papa Vegas. Um, the bass player was in a band in Australia uh, called the Screaming Tribesmen who toured with the cult on the electric tour. 
and it's all covers, but it's 60, 70. So it's Thin Lizzy, Deep Purple, um, Bowie, uh, Alice Cooper, you know, The Who, the real roots of, and that's what I'm wired for, you know. Yeah. I, I love a lot of music, but I'm wired for rock and roll. I like four on the floor. I like guitars and amps, you know. And, yeah. And, and that's Are you still doing the White Rabbit in addition to Ghost of Sunset? Oh, okay. You bet. Okay, yeah. Cool. You know, and right now, nobody's doing anything. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. But yeah, I still do that. And I still do solo shows where I'm, you know, I'm a singer songwriter guy, okay. you know, so I'm doing the acoustic and the harmonica and pretending I'm Neil Young. And Oh, that's cool. You know. So yeah, tell me about this. You've had 30 years in the music business. Um, explain to me or in our listeners, what is it like working in the music business? Like when you're not Aerosmith, right? I mean, you're not at the Aerosmith right. level. No. Uh, because no. I think a lot of people kind of think it's like, oh, or nothing. Oh, you're, you're either a rock star or you're not. And But you can still be a working musician, you, 30 years in the business. And I mean, it just, just, do you have to have a day job and do other things? I mean, you don't have to quit I your do. dream. But yeah. so, yeah. So explain that, how that works. I'm always curious. Well, you know, for me, it was, there was that time in your life where you're going, you know, you're, and that's, uh, again, not to you know, not to push this so hard, but the Ghosts of Sunset, the the EP we did is about these people who moved from their hometowns and went out west to to make it, you know, to strike yeah. gold. I, I think that took a lot of guts. I think it took, you know, oh, yeah. you see these poofy haired cats, you know, and you're going to all these, you know, in their interviews and they're, you know, they seem bubble airheaded guys or whatever, but really they left somewhere and went, I'm all in. Yeah. Now I, you know, Someone like me, I I was more like, hey, I, I was going to have a, I knew I was going to have a day job. There was a time when all I did was play music. That was cool when I was 21, 22. It was really cool. I enjoyed it. Um, and you you had enough to pay the bills doing it? I had enough to pay the bills, but you know, I was living pretty Spartan. I didn't have my wife and son like I do now. I didn't right. have soccer yeah. cleats to buy or, you know, um, things like that. I didn't have a car, you know, <laughs> you know. Nowadays, I think uh, if you're not Aerosmith, you know, you can find there's more ways now to get revenue streams from music than there ever was before. You know, you have more access to to put music in film or, you know, my band Dutch Henry had licensed songs to the Outdoor Channel, to Ford Motor Company, to Hewlett Packard Computers, you know, so you had wow. revenue streams coming in. Now, did they... Did they, they- uh, use the song or they just buy it. And then in case they wanted to use it or how's uh, no like Hewlett Packard, uh, they launched a new touchscreen. This is some years ago, but like new touchscreen computers and they preloaded the album on the computers. Oh. So, you know, you get your computer and there's always like some music preloaded. Yeah. I hate well, it, it when our, uh, the iPhone did that with a U2 album. I think that pissed a lot and of it people popped up in your phone. <laughs> yeah. Right? I was like, I don't want this U2 album. <laughs> exactly. So you're and one you of those. Like, okay. I don't care. You're getting yeah. it. <laughs> well, that's cool though. It's just, you know, back in, in, and certainly there was a time in my life when I was a dumber, younger man where I would go, well, I can't believe that band sold out, right? They sold out because their songs in a donut commercial or whatever, right? Now as 30 years in the business, I can kind of, uh, you know, I do appreciate the fact that, you know, there's mouths to feed, there's career, you know, just the simplest thing, you know, guitar strings cost money, you know, um, rent costs money. Uh, you got to find another way to do it. And now we live in a time where you can access those revenue streams in a way you couldn't. Um, but there's also something too, that 
for a guy like me that grew up in that era where you feel like, well, man, I'm, I'm not, am I not all in, you know what I mean? Am I not? But, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that it lessens the music at all. I just think, um, the opportunities, like if, you know, if Warrant called and said, Hey man, we're going out for four months and we want you with us. Then you start really weighing some options. You know, you're looking at things, how much money you're spending, how much money you're making, um, the audiences you're reaching, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, where well, at 21 years old, I would have went, okay, what do I have to do? You know, do we all pile into a, you know, a Yugo and follow Warrant around and play show? Cool. We'll do that. You know, it's not like that now. Yeah. Have you had those opportunities where you've been able to open for bigger bands? Yeah. Yeah. Especially now. Um, and, and it's been cool for me because the access to some of these shows, a lot of my favorite bands are touring at a level where, um, where you, first of all, you get access to them. And second of all, they'll, they're a little more open to put on, you know, a lower tier band. So we've done stuff, uh, you know, Todd and I have played with everyone from Lynch Mob, Faster Pussycat, um, uh, Tracy Guns. We've also with Dutch Henry, you know, we opened for bands like the Goo Goo Dolls and, uh, wow. and Kobe Calais and a, a more country artists than I can name. Um, so yeah, we've gotten a chance to do that. And, is that um, all? Now, now you go on tour or is that just locally that you, those open? are usually one-offs and one they off, might okay. be, you know, when we would tour ourselves, we would go out headlining, but we would be playing smaller festivals clubs you know we were hitting major markets but at our level you'd have to hit that market again and again so you'd you'd kind of get your you know you'd get a thing going in st louis and then you'd have a pocket of fans in nashville and chicago and and we would just work that circuit you know why not uh like team up with another band like i had uh this guy, uh, band called the compulsions this and i i liked it he sent me the the record the new record i heard it i was like this is good stuff i was like are you touring he's like yeah i just i can't you know tour on this i don't have enough fan i'm like why don't like a some of you like if you're a smaller band or newer band why don't you guys team up together and do like three or four or five bands or is that just not economically feasible <laughs> i think right now i mean even prior to this whole pandemic thing um, the live music industry is, you know, I don't think it's rock and roll is dead or live music is dead, but the access is such where, you know, uh, people aren't going out like they used to. So, and people's attention span, I'll be honest with you on a five band bill is, is nil, you know, hmm. they'll either come in to see the band that they wanted to see, like, oh, there's five bands on this bill and I like band three and they're going to play here. I'll come watch that. Um, you know, the days of going to the Us Festival or the Monsters of Rock and spending 13 hours, you know, uh, people's attention spans aren't like that anymore. Are you sure, so, though? Because, like, I, what they have I all these, uh, like, Monsters of Rock crews and stuff. I haven't been on one personally, but I see the list of bands, and, I mean, it's just, like, a mile long. It's, like, and it's all day, every day. I think that's different. I think that's... um. That's a destination. Yeah. That's destination marketing. So the the destination is the cruise, and mm. now you're locked in there, and and then this thing is available to you. All okay. this is available to you the whole time. I think if you took some of those people and went, hey, man, um, Great White is playing in this town, and Enough's Enough is playing in this town, and LA Guns is in this town. I want you to drive to each of those right. towns yeah, and see yeah, them. Yeah. No, you know that, what I mean? Yeah, that's like maybe you're right. Maybe and maybe that's the way rather than trying to tour is is maybe start your own festival 
and uh, try to sign up all these other bands. Oh, really? Have you done that? I haven't. No, but you know, a lot of bands that I look up to started that way. I mean, you can go back to, I'm a huge Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh yeah. And you know, their original band mud crutch, that's what they did. They had a farm, they cleared some area off and they, you know, the first time they did it, they had 300 of their friends from Gainesville from the college there. Then it was 2000. And then it was, you know, it grew so big. They couldn't do it anymore. I think there's still a market for it. Yeah, I really do. I think you're right. I think pairing a bunch, you're grouping some of these like-minded bands together and, and, and doing a new rock tour. I think that works. Um, I think, the commerce in the business is so different now that you have bands that are buying onto tours where, you know, yeah, someone that's goes interesting. Like the Raskins, know, where, they paid a million dollars to open up for Motley Crue. That's crazy. Right. I mean, how do they even get that and, money? I was going to say, if I had a million dollars, I would do it too. So I'm not yeah. faulting them. Yeah. It's just, I wonder how that works, you know, and some of it is, you know, there might be a, a guy in the band whose dad is, you know, you know, invented the post-it note or whatever the hell it is. And and he's got <laughs> the good. dough to go. Billy wants to go play his guitar with Motley Crue and I'm going to pay for that. You know, um, even Kickstarter, things like that, Kickstarter yeah. and crowdfunding, GoFundMe. you know, in my day, we didn't do that. You know, mm-hmm. you made an album, you either went out and played shows and got money for it, or, you know, you came home and, and sold everything in the living room. You know, you went, well, shit, I got my stereo and I got this guitar. I'm going to sell that stuff. You know, I can remember being in a bar asking everyone in the bar if they wanted to buy a mountain bike. And it was because I had a mountain bike and I had a record to make, you know, Ah. and I needed that money. So yeah, Um, explain to me. So you guys are on uh, you have a record deal. It's pretty cool. You're on golden robot records, uh, which I've heard of because uh, you you got Gilby Clark from guns and roses is on there. Dizzy Reed also from guns and roses Mm -hmm. has a solo record on there. Uh, one of the LA guns versions is on there. I right. saw today, Brandon Gibbs, who I've had on my show. Great and super nice guy. I seen him perform live. Great, uh, great band. Uh, and then I saw Jefferson starship. How's an, yeah. an album on there? Yep. That's pretty cool. You know, they, so getting help, you know, for us, you know, that help is, is immeasurable. Having someone like golden robot behind you is, I mean, you just can't put into, to words, the value that is to us. And to have people who get it, you know, I mean, there were other labels we talked to who liked the music, but they weren't quite getting it. You know, Golden Robot understands what we're doing. It's as much as I like, you know, Steel Panther, right? I love Steel Steel Panther. Panther, Love Steel Panther. That's another thing. You know, the Ghosts of Robot aren't sending up, you know, aren't. I don't want to say mocking because I don't think Steel Panther is mocking 80s rock, but they, you know, there's some tongue in cheek there. Um, we don't have that. This is just this music's bound to come out of us because we were born and raised on it. You know, right. it's just who we are. Um, so Golden Robot got that right away. And to keep company with a band like King's X, who I've oh, you know, yeah. respected from Love day that. one, you know, they're on Golden Robot. Phil X and the Drills are on Golden Robot. He's the and guitarist Phil, for Bon Jovi, right? For Jovi, right. And, you know, pretty good Stephen company. Riley's got uh, Stephen Riley and Kelly Nichols have their L.A. guns there. Um, they've got a, they're pushing a single right now on golden robot. That's really good. I think they're supporting, you know, they're supporting this scene, whatever it is. Yeah. And for a band like us who are coming up, we've been in the business forever, but in this particular band are coming up, it's just more value than we could ever have hoped for. So how does that work? Like, how did you get signed 
do, do you submit a tape or, a, or I guess not tape, but you submit the songs right. to them. You, you shop it. The, you made this uh, EP, you shopped it to these different record labels or. Right. And, and, and I, I don't a hundred percent know where the golden robot connection came in, um, but they had gotten wind of it. Oh. And what, and what we were kind of hoping for was, you know, to maybe find, they also golden robot kind of as an umbrella. There's, there's a lot of other labels, under the golden robot name, some subsidiaries. Oh, I didn't know and that. And so, you know, initially it was, Hey man, maybe one of these subsidiaries will help us. And then in meeting with them and discussing what we were doing, they went, we think golden robot itself is a good fit for you. And, um, but yeah, it's shopping. Like you said, do you send a tape, right? Well, now <laughs> it's files. Yeah. But I remember, you know, when you did, you took your cassette tape and you stuffed it in a manila envelope with your, bio and an eight by 10 glossy and you sent it out or, you know, you went knocked on the door and, you know, you went to the bar and in the middle of the day, you know, you opened the door and it was dark and smoky and you went, who books the entertainment? And mm. it's, you know, Frank, the bartender comes out and oh, who are you? You know, well, here's our tape. And you know, as soon as you hit the door, he went and threw it in the garbage. Oh. You know, it was just the access now is really advantageous for a new artist i think yeah. and for guys like us who've been in the game a little bit um it, it's amazing because you remember what it was like to work you know putting mailing envelopes on every or mailing labels on envelopes all night long you know right because they had to print out on your little printer and <laughs> So yeah, it's just a whole how long new have you, game. Yeah. How long have you been on this record? Do you guys get like, is there like a company party where everybody, all these artists come together like a Christmas party or something? Uh, that, <laughs> and if, if there, there is, is how do I get an invite dude. to that? Cause that would be fun. There probably is. And they're like, we're not inviting these dudes. Cause I don't oh, need them. You know, shit. nobody wants me at a I Christmas I want to be your plus one. If you do get Kelly invited. Nichols. Yeah. Hey, you're in. Okay. You're in. I'm Sweet. sure that card's coming. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, it's been a, a, a blessing for us to get this. The other thing that a label like golden robot will do is just, they just widen the net, you know, they yeah. get you out places that you can't get yourself to. And, um, but it's, it's also, I mean, and, and anyone will tell you, it's not, you know, it's not cocaine and satin jackets either. You know what I mean? No, no, no. It's not, but do they help know, with the the licensing for the TV shows and the commercials? And all? Cause that's a big part of how you guys make right. money now. Right. Right. Like even in the Dutch Henry days, you know, our label 615 records out of Nashville, they were always looking for that, you know, where we could place a song, you know, can we do mm -hmm. it here? Could we do it here? You know, uh, does this song fit? Um, so Golden Robot will do some of that for us, too, because now that's where songs are heard. You know, you yeah. hear 30 seconds of them at the tail end of a commercial. Yeah. Or you can um, even uh, where, put them in your Instagram stories and stuff, your, your social media. It's amazing, man. I, you know, enough's enough. Rat, Warrant, Motley, all those bands we came up on. I saw, you know, a lot. Vane. Vane's a great example. Kind of that lesser known band that I loved. You know, it just happened to be their video went by on Headbangers Ball or whatever. Wow. You know, and you went, oh, that's cool. You know, and I'll go buy that. Uh, there's not that clearinghouse like there used to be, which was MTV. That's yeah. where, I mean, make no mistake. That's. Before that, it was FM radio, right? And yeah. Then, um, I think and the, then it the disadvantage, though, is it's harder to find stuff that's like Headbangers Ball. They would put like the best of the best. Uh, but right. and so now it's kind of like, 
there's so much, every band has a YouTube or Facebook or whatever, but it's like sifting through and trying to find it. I mean, I interviewed uh, Calico Cooper uh, yesterday. She's the, she's Alice Cooper's daughter. She has a band Bisto Blanco. They've been around since nice. like 2012 oh, yeah. or something. I just heard of them like a year or two ago or whenever the, uh, the feed my Frankenstein song came out, but then I started went back and listened to these old songs oh, yeah. and they're really good. And I'm like, how did I never hear about this? Cause there's no, who's the headbangers ball now? Like how, who's the one telling you right. like, here's the hit, you know? So that's why I'm trying to do my podcast. Partly you are, too, to, yeah, you yeah. are dude, but there's a lot you of podcasts too. So I mean, yeah, really? Yeah. But that's who it is now. That's mm. where we get this stuff from is these from podcasts and from, you know, someone who's curating music and sharing it and and doesn't have, you know, the other thing is on your side of it, you can't really have skin in the game. You know what I mean? I don't want you pitching stuff to me because, you know, it's your best friend's band. I want right. you pitching something to me because you dig it. Yeah. And then I look at your Nuff's Enough shirt and I go, well, he likes Nuff's Enough and he likes Bisto Blanco. I bet he and I are connected there somehow. I, I need to check out Bisto Blanco. Definitely. I mean, that's just... That's what I dig, you know, is it's the same way, you know, if we're playing live, you know, you're out on the road and you're meeting people and they're going, dude, you have you checked out this band? And then you you get back to the hotel and you YouTube it. And sure, you know, there's 15 songs you didn't know existed. Right. Um, So that's nice. Like you said, though, there's also the sifting process, the vetting process where MTV wasn't going to play, you know the video that you did in your basement, you know, with your mom and dad's video camera. Right, right. Right. Nowadays, everybody's laptop comes loaded with some sort of recording software and, and they go, well, I made an album in my studio. And it's like, well, no, you, you know, you recorded your voice and guitar in the basement <laughs> and, and you didn't go through that process of learning how to do this, where things sit, you know, where a guitar goes in a mix, how the drums work, how, how you can, you know, you're panning a guitar here and a guitar here, and they're creating this third thing, you know, that, I mean, not to be that, you know, guy going, Ooh, in my day, but in my day, you were on analog tape. You might have eight tracks, four tracks to work with, you know? And, um, and that gets lost because yeah. it's all so easy and instant now, you know? Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about the, your process with the songwriting. Cause you said uh, you're 50 50 partners with uh, Todd. Uh, now, mm-hmm. He's a drummer, though, right? So, how does he, how do you guys work with ideas? Does he, he must play the piano or the guitar. He doesn't actually write the music on paper, does he? He's, no, he's, you know, for lack of a better word, he's Dave Grohl. He's oh, a he Dave Grohl everything. guy. Oh. So he plays guitar, he sings, he sings harmony, he plays I mean he plays bass on the Ghosts, a lot of the Ghosts of Sunset stuff. Oh, He's that musician. Oh wow. Okay. So so what he and I kind of do is he might have a riff for a, you know, that's the beauty. He's in Alaska. I'm in Michigan. You know. Oh, and you guys so, made this record and being in two different We did. Wow. So but what we both have is we both have pro tools, rigs, um, you know, we both recorded a long time. We we know how the system works, but that was it. It'd be like, you know, I'd get a file on my phone and I'd go, oh, okay, it's Todd's riff. We just start building. It, it's great. It's cool. It allowed us to do this. It's not the same and it'll never be the same as four people in a room together. Yeah. It'll never be that way. Well, for, so, you know, when you're doing it like that. Right. Yeah. So when you talk about you know, like songwriting and like what inspires you, you'd said, 
you know, whether it's the Beatles or Motley Crue, it all boils down to like human experiences and emotions like love, hate, fear, sadness, joy, loneliness. Uh, You know, so tell me about that. Like, how do you what inspires you right now? Because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. Are you being inspired by all this craziness to write music? Because that's got to evoke a lot of emotion. It, it does. And, and yeah, I am inspired. Uh, you know, with, with the ghosts, with Headed West, our EP, we had a theme. It's, it, it is a concept. It was that early 80s, mid 80s rock and roll scene and that whole story. On the, on the other front, you know, like current events and things like that, of course, you can't help but being inspired and informed by that. The, I think the slippery slope is when you either become preachy, right? you know, you're preaching, you start pushing your agenda, um, or, or you simply are trivial, trivial, trivializing. Thank you. Um, true experience. You can't, you know, you know, uh, my mother died and someone went, Oh, you'll be able to write a song about that. Uh, No, I can't. I can't write a song about my mother's death because I don't think I can write a chorus about losing my mom. I just don't, it's too close and it's too personal. And, and I don't know that I have control over the English language enough to capture that emotion. That being said, there are people who do, and I, I take cues from them. And then I find subject matter that I have enough distance from that I can comment on it and form and, and form a story. So some of the stories or some of the songs might be pieces, little visionettes of these different experiences that the songwriter puts into, you know, into a one coherent thought, you know, yeah. it's, well, it's I just an remember abstract like, painting uh, where you're when I was grabbing kid, different things. Yeah. When I was a kid, not to bring up Aerosmith again, but uh, I just remember that song living on the edge oh, and they said it was written during the uh, LA riots and yeah. like that opening line, there's something wrong with the world today. Something's wrong with our eyes. Like I, I like that. So it still stands the right. test of time for today. I think that's some of the greatest songs is, it might be written about, you know, something political or a war or riots or whatever, but they don't say like specifically that's what it's about. It's more like a generalized and it really right. brings everybody together because for some people that they might say, well, this fits this narrative. And for other people might say, well, I think I see it this way. And so every, that's the whole cool thing about songs like that is like different interpretations. The the best songs, the best songs do exactly what you just said. They put out a framework and then you take your bit. Yeah. You, know, you get in there. You get yourself inside it. You find your story. Um, and that's what I like. You know, you don't I don't want Steven Tyler sitting with me the whole time going, OK, we're you know, we're on to seasons of wither and that's about this. And that's what right. I want you to yeah. imagine. Yeah. You know, you know, I want to take that ride myself. And it's always weird. You know, it's when you hear that real upbeat song, good poppy, upbeat music and everything. And then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh, my God, that's what that's about. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a darkness there or there's the contrasts. And um, that's what songwriters want to do. They want to draw you in. That's what I want to do. That's what yeah. Ghosts of Sunset want to do. We want to draw you in, you know, and and have you start going, well, I never moved to Los Angeles, California to be a, a rock star. But let's say there's someone listening who's a painter and they are, they're making paintings in their basement all the time and they've never shown anyone. And they go, well, s- someone went out to L.A. to be a, a rock star, a guitar player. They took that plunge. They had those guts. I'm going to take this painting and I'm going to show it to one friend. 
it's the same thing. Yeah. It's that same plunge. Right. Now, the song was written about rock and roll, but you took it and you applied it to your painting or yeah. you applied it to anything that you you know, it's going to take that level of commitment. Exactly. No, that's just, and I say at the end that's of it, what the best songs do. I agree. No, that just reminds me like every episode I end shoot for the moon. Cause I always just say, I think that's so cool when people do that. Um, like I just had Sean McNabb on, he's a bass player and oh God, he's great. White, oh, quiet, right. But he, he had the played same, with him when he was with Lynch mob. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Lynch mob. He had the same story. He was, he was living in, yeah. um, uh, it was somewhere in the Midwest. I can't remember if it was Michigan or whatever. And he just said, I'm moving to LA. He had like, I don't know how much, you know, a few hundred dollars in his pocket. I don't even know if he had a car. I think he just like took his, you know, guitar or his bass or whatever. And he just headed out there. He just happened to meet this person at the, um, uh, the, the Tammy Downs, uh, uh, not the fast, the cat house at the cat, cat house bar. And yeah. then, uh, sure enough, he meets the drummer quiet, Riot. Right. They're like, Hey, we, we need a bass player. Why don't you try out? And just like it clicked. It's like, but if he would have never taken that chance, and moved out west, it never would have happened. So I always just, and I think that's so cool. That's People it. go for it. That's awesome. That's it. And that's the Ghost of Sunset. That EP headed west is telling that story. Yeah, let's it's talk about Sean that. Story. Let's talk about you know? the uh, the EP. So uh, you got some, like, uh, I mean, again, these are maybe some of these are kind of deep cuts for some people. But for me, I'm like, sure. I know all these bands. Uh, Tim Mosher from Junkyard is on it. Adam Hamilton from Tough. Johnny Monaco from Enough's Enough. Uh, Stacy right. Blades from who I guess he he was Rocks in LA Gang. Guns, but he was also in Rat for a little while. Or he was in Rocks Rat. Gang. Yeah, I love Rocks Gang. I love it. that's yeah, me a deep too. cut, but me I love too. him. And then uh, Bruno Ravel from uh, Danger Danger. Danger Danger. So yeah, um, and it's interesting because the first song is is kind of more of a slow ballad, which I heard and I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. And then you told me the people that were on your album, and I was like, yeah, let's do this interview. This will be fun. And so then I'm right. so glad you sent me the EP so I could actually listen to the full thing because. The first two songs are my favorite. I was like, oh, these are like the rocking yeah, songs. I was like, and I, for, if it was me, I would have released one of those two as the first single because I love right. the whole album is good. It, it, don't get me wrong. It's great. But the first two are my favorites. I was like, oh, these are really great. Good. And you sound like uh, Tammy Down from Faster Pussycat. Or is it is it Kevin Steele? Is that the singer? Rock Skank? You sound it has that kind of vibe to it. It's really cool. Rock Skank. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, now for me, that's uh, those are huge compliments and, of course, influences on what I do. Um, and thank you. You know, in picking a single for us, uh, certainly we let Golden Robot kind of run with the ball there. They have the oh, experience. Okay. And, 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 you know, and, um, and we're too close to it. You know, you're too close to it. That's why I don't mix records anymore. Uh, because if I'm mixing a record, you know, the parts that I want loudest are the ones I'm on, right? It's right, more yeah. vocals and more guitar, Sure, right? sure. Oh, yeah, you um, know what the horror story of that is? Not to interrupt, but just real quick. Uh, if you go back and listen to Injustice for All by Metallica, and it was when the bass player, the new bass player came in, and I don't think he had the balls to say, hey, we need to turn the bass up on this one, and you cannot didn't. hear the bass, and it sounds like shit. But if you hear the remix version where they fixed it, oh, right. my God, it's amazing. So the What's the remix one called? And Justice for Jason is what it's called, <laughs> the remix version. Is it really called that? I just and heard a YouTube version. You know it was awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, you know, like singles and stuff like that, those are hard for, you know, it would be like having – four or five kids and going, well, only one of these kids is getting an education. Who's mm -hmm. it going to be? Or only one of them is going to get to play sports or only, and you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, the, and make no mistake, miles in between our first single, you know, someone, I was doing an interview and they reluctantly like 
sheepishly went, well, it's a power ballad. And I went, yes, it is. I grew up on great power ballads, living on the edge, uh, you know, um, those huge uh, white snake ballads. Remember the, sure. is this love is this and love, stuff like yeah. that. Don't know what you got till John Cinderella. So it was Cinderella. an homage to yeah. that kind of music. Yeah. I exactly. Like, yeah. And, and I have no problem with that. Yeah. So the headed West, that's the um, first song. That's like a really rocking song. Some of the other yeah. songs, the heavier stuff. Yeah. The su- the second one, uh, another, what's yeah. it? Another rock and, and roll was, show. It sounds like listen, it, I was just going to say that one. Another rock like, and roll show. Yeah, it sounds like it could have been on the uh, Motley Crue debut album. It's It's got that kind of like, kind of almost like punky vibe to it. Too Fast for Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got that kind of vibe. for It, it like does. It. And that's how it was, we kind of wrote. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was just, um. if you listen to that EP and when you go back and listen again, the songs as they develop, you know, like Headed West and another rock and roll show, they're a little more raw. And as you get to like miles in between in the later songs, they sort of unfold. You get more instrumentation. You get a little more fidelity. It's to mimic the career of a band. You know, your first, mm. that first Motley Crue album is raw oh, and punky. That's interesting. You know, and as you go, as you go through REP headed West, as you get to the end, now you have organ and piano and guitar and str- because, you know, Motley Crue doing too fast for love had guitar, bass, drums, and vocals. You know, there yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. Now go to Dr. Feelgood, oh, you know? yeah. Good production. You go to Dr. Feelgood, you have Bob Rock's production. And so I love we them both, that. too. We yeah, that's great. consciously mimicked. Okay. that's interesting. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, we, we tried to mimic that, yeah. So October and, um, 2020 is when and, it's... And that's uh, just... That's when it's going to... Or sorry, that's when the second single will come out, and then the EP will be out by, before the end of the year? Second single. Would you know what the second single is? Yes, you, yep. So Can you say, or...? I do. It's going to be a song called Never Goodbye. Okay. Which what that was one of the bell. Yeah, was there's, a, there's, it's on the EP. Yeah. That is a kind of a mid-tempo thing. It's got Tracy Guns on guitar from oh, LA. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, Tracy Guns. Yeah. Who else? Did yes. I miss any other names on that? Because I didn't even you see know, his... We had, you know, Stacey Blades played on a couple songs. Um, Brian Forsyth, who you interviewed oh, from yeah, yeah, yeah. Kicks. Um, he plays on one of the tracks. Uh, and Tracy, Johnny Monaco, all those guys. And again, it was, it was our way of thanking those guys and, and letting them know. I, I mean, I want a guy like Stacy blades to know that rocks gang in my, you know, 1980, whatever pickup truck I was driving around had full rotation. You know, I was mm-hmm. listening to never, uh, no easy way out. Oh, you that's know, a great that, song. That record. Yeah. And, um, and so for you to even mention Kevin Steele is an honor to me. And hopefully someone watching this is going to go, these guys are talking about rocks gang. Yeah. Who's that? We might and, have and lost some you... listeners too, but Hey, that's okay. That happens. <laughs> right. There's always going to be someone going rocks gang, you yeah. know, but, well, maybe but for guys like them. us, yeah. if you and I were standing in line at a coffee shop and you were wearing that t-shirt <laughs> and I were wearing this junkyard yeah. t-shirt. Oh yeah. I, I know for a fact, if very least we would have that eye contact moment to go, yeah, I get it, dude. That would you be know. amazing. Yeah. No, I wear shirts like that all the time and I don't ever get anybody no. knowing who it is. The only thing is like, and it's funny cause I'm, I live in Arizona and I'm a Seahawks fan. So I'll wear Seahawks stuff and that's amazing. But you know, that's a, major right. league NFL team. So that, that I can right. understand, but yeah, if I wear like enough's enough shirt t-shirt out and about, it's pretty rare that, you know, if I do, if I'm at a concert, that's different. Then it's like my right. crowd. So yeah, that's totally different. right. Well, so, the cool thing is, is when you're wearing your enough's enough t-shirt in an element 
that isn't a concert that isn't and you connect with someone someone that would gets be amazing it, yeah then you have that you know yeah. and i had told a story on a, a previous interview i'm in line at mcdonald's you know i've got my window down and i'm waiting for my food and there's a car blasting the trooper by iron maiden nice you know i can hear it, it blasting it and i look over and it's a guy you know probably my age or something and we don't even and say anything i give him i give him some horns he gives me some <laughs> horns and we get our food and i thought to myself if we were stranded in this line for an hour i bet he and i could eat up an hour talking about iron maiden oh for sure for we'd sure. never talk about politics we wouldn't have to talk about our worldview we wouldn't have to talk about the things we disagree about we would go fucking iron maiden rules dude yeah there you and go we'd, there we'd be going that's see that's what we need and that's more what the world needs exactly dude. we need more concerts so uh, if you if you guys do uh, end up doing live shows, you would you had had an interesting quote about that. You said that because you grew up in a in an era where like club level bands they had to deliver like an arena style show at the club level. So how do you do right. that? Or if you are going to do live shows, we will do live shows. Um, and the way you do that is really is you deliver an, a level of energy that you know you. What happens is these bands at our level. Um, and even bigger bands, uh, they punish. They'll punish 50 people for not being 5,000. That's what I call it. Mm. It's where you go into the club and it's half sold and you're, you know, you're in that mood. And the bands of, of my era were playing these clubs and they weren't always sold out. Remember, you know, the first night that the cat house, you'd mentioned Ricky and Tammy's cat house. Right. The first night it opened, there were 30 people there, you know, it, 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 there's going to be bands. There's going to be nights you're not playing to everybody, but there might be that one person in the audience in their enough's enough t-shirt who's expecting you to deliver something. And that's what, how we see it. That's how we always are going to see it. And that's how we've seen it since we were kids. When I was starting out in a band. Yeah. You had now in my era, you had to play an instrument, but you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get by. If you were going to be in a cover band, you had to be pretty good because the parts were pretty good. You know, the Stacy Blades and Tracy Guns and Johnny Monaco's and whomever are, are top level musicians on their Absolutely. instrument. Yeah. So you have to have that. But you can't just stand there. You're not a classical guitarist. Now you have to move about this stage. Now the stage is the size of a postage stamp. But you still have to have that because you're playing to people who have seen that as well. Right. So that's how we do it. It's every night when we were playing, you know, con this country rock. It was the same thing. It's always that thing. As you get older, it just takes a little bit more wear on your body. But, you know, when we played with like Lynch Mob or Pussycat or, you know, I saw Tracy Guns. You know, we played with Tracy Guns in the small club. And, I, dude, I want to see Tracy Guns. He's the guy from the, you know, the Never Enough video or the Electric Gypsy video or whatever. You know, I'm here in a room with him. I want him to deliver. And he delivered, you know, and that's what these bands are out doing. So yeah. if someone goes, you know, oh, I can't believe band A is here playing this bar in my hometown and they're in a van. They used to be in a bus. Why would they do that? It's because this is what they do. Right. This is how they're wired. You never go, you know, God, this, this, uh, you know, this doctor has been practicing medicine forever. And, uh, oh, here's, he's, it's not an old open heart transplant today it's a sliver he's got to get out he doesn't go i don't do slivers right no he's a doctor he's a doctor yeah so you know in rock and roll that's how it is absolutely 
So 30, if you have it, you know, if yeah. you go, no, I was ahead, just going to say 30, 30 years. I just keep thinking 30 years in the music business. That's a long time. Have you, what's the craziest shit you've seen? I mean, and it seems like you've played with some pretty big names and stuff too. Do you have some good stories to tell about thir- uh, anything like a Tracy Gunn story or a lynch mob story or some of these rock stars, like anything crazy well, happened you, know, that you saw? The, the coolest thing about those shows, I think at this club level is uh, when you see the person who's getting a chance to see George Lynch and you see him, I mean, George Lynch comes out and you'll see dudes go boom, and they're all right there and they're just watching, right? They're staring and they're watching him play guitar. Um, there's a lot of that. And the cool thing is back in the day, you know, on the Monsters of Rock tour, you weren't going to get to go hang, stand in front of George Lynch. The photo pit was 30 yards wide. So that's really cool for us, for guys who grew up on it, to get in a club and see these bands. is Faster Pussycat was one of my favorite bands growing up. I mean, I flew that flag. Um, and so to see them in a club and hear Bathroom Wall and all these songs I loved. Um, so that's always great. As far as crazy stories, um, you know, even in a small club, there's still some somebody who wants to get backstage, right? You know, there's still this. And I love it because I'm a child of the 80s. And uh, and it's always nice to see, you know, soccer mom still dressing out for the show. You know? <laughs> you know I mean, that is funny. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you talked about, um, you know, it's interesting. I interview a lot of these uh, guys, musicians and rock stars and things. And so many I feel like it's almost it's becoming a cliche where it's like they go through this party lifestyle and then they get older and they're like, Okay, now I'm sober. And so you have six years sobriety. Six years. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations on that. But thank you. Talk dude. to me about that because um, you know, it just seems like it's so interesting. Like, why do why do why do we need to have everyone keep going through this uh routine? Like, why do you think it's it, it, it's such a cliche, but it's so it's so true. Like it just happens so I much. Know. And I'm like, is that just part of like people need to kind of learn that lesson? Is that just life? I think or? it's some of that, and I think it's because if you're at our core, be it Steven Tyler or Brett Michaels or John Bon Jovi or me or Sean McNair, there's a lot of insecurity involved in this. You know, it's funny. You see someone on stage and you think they're the most confident person on earth, right? They, nothing, they're untouchable. They're bigger than life. But really, when you start writing songs and performing for people, you're really laying something out there. You know, you're really opening up. And for yeah. me, that made me fearful. And, and fear is usually the root of most addiction. And for, you know, I also grew up in an era where my favorite, all my favorite musicians were mess, a mess, you know, the Nikki sixes of the world and going back the Johnny thunders of the world and, you know, the sex pistols and, you know, everyone was a, a drunken drugged out mess. And I thought that was part of the deal. I thought you should, I wanted people to come see the band and be like, that dude has been, you know, they, he he must have drank 13 beers during that set, which was not uncommon for me. What happened is I don't remember a lot of that. And and I never was able to admit the truth is, you know, I, there's always an element of fear. I, I, mm-hmm. I Anytime I do it, you know, um, I think that's vulnerability. So, and I think that's yeah. where good art comes from. So you what know? is the fear that people won't like you or people won't like your yeah, music? Yeah, sure. Okay. People won't like you. They won't like your music. Uh, you know, I call it the Carrie syndrome, the movie Carrie, you know, where the girls at the dance and um, it's they're all going to laugh at you. Right. Mm. None of us want that. You think, 
you know, I don't think any of us want to be booed. I don't think Motley Crue wanted to take John Karabi out on the road to half-filled arenas and feel like they had somehow made a mistake or pissed away their career or whatever. I don't think, uh, I don't think Joe Perry wanted to leave Aerosmith and go play clubs, you know? Um, so there's that, you know, there's always that thing like, Hey man, am I? And then if you get a little success of any sort, if you please one person, it's always in your head. Well, how do I do that again? What if I don't please Mm. that person? What if I alienate this person? Like you said, well, the rocks gang thing, we might lose some people, right? Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to do that. But the second you don't say rocks gang, because you're afraid of alienating someone, you you're now you're cheating yourself. Right. And I had years where I wouldn't, I not wouldn't admit, but I wasn't jumping up on my soapbox going, Hey man, I love Vane and pretty boy Floyd, you know, or I love rocks gang or I, and I did, but you know, there was a time where I don't know, maybe I wanted to be cooler. I wanted to be, you know, and I did like a lot of other music and I referenced that. Oh no, check but, this um, out. So I, I lo- like, like we've, the bands we've talked about the hair metal. I grew up in the nineties in Seattle and I love oh. hair metal. So you couldn't be in a worse place or time. To right? hair metal. You were, gr- <laughs> and I liked, you. You I liked the, us. I liked the grunge too. I, I did, too. but uh, I mean, I was more, I was more of a fan of, you know, Motley Crue and all that kind of stuff. So sure. yeah, I don't well, know. Just, I'll tell you what, Seattle, uh, as far as bands I loved, you know, there was the grunge scene. I never really held them responsible for killing hair metal, but mother love bone, man. Oh, I, I love them. Yeah. That's one of my all time favorite bands. I think I saw you, um, the, you posted a, a record of that on your, uh, Facebook. Yeah, I'm I'm such a humongous fan of, of them. And the, the grunge had some good stuff. I yeah. mean, you have to admit, I have to admit, um, I'm sure uh, Tracy Guns or Sean McNabb or, or Frankie Benelli, rest his soul, they would have admitted it got to be too much. It got overblown. They were playing characters. Yeah. Um, you'd see these interviews. You'd watch Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2, right? The Metal Years. And they'd interview these guys. And they all seem like these buffoons, you know? And... And what I wanted for us and what Todd wanted for us was to pay homage to the guts and the true spirit of those people. Not the person you'd see in the interview, not the passed out drunk guy, not the pissing in a cop car guy, but really the guy who left his small town and went, hey, man, I'm, I've got the guts to do this and I'm going to go do it somewhere where some of the best in the world are doing it, yeah. you know? No, that's great. Well, um, I end each episode with a charity. I don't, I, th- I hope I told you to, is there a charity that you work with or you want to raise awareness for? You know, right now, um, I've really been talking a lot about the music cares. Um, they deal with addiction, recovery, sobriety. Okay. Um, and right now, the other thing I can encourage everyone to do is really take care of your local venues, your, your clubs, you yeah. see live music in your bars that host bands. Um, they're hurting right now, dude. It's, you know, you think the touring musicians are hurting. Think of all the venues that count on them coming through town and they're not coming. Right. And okay. they can't open their doors. So I, I'd i like everyone to at least uh, do what they could to support those independent venues. And, yeah. And, clubs. and I'm sorry, what was it? It was Music Cares? Is music there? Cares. Okay, yep. cool. And it's we'll through, check that out. It's through the recording, um, uh, the recording Academy of America. And it helps okay. with, uh, you know, our, our business is littered with, 
with addicts who need help. Absolutely. Man. And yeah. I was one of them and I was lucky enough to get it. So well, I'm glad that you got that. Yeah. And I, I'm loving the new album or there, sorry, EP, I guess it is ghost of sunset. Yeah. Everybody should check it out. Follow you guys on social media and uh, we'll look forward to new music coming out soon. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Okay. Always a pleasure to Thanks, talk John. to a like-minded man. Yeah, Thanks, you too. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. So John Merchant, the band is Ghosts of Sunset. You can hear the new song Miles in Between Everywhere. Uh, the rest of the EP will be out soon. Follow Ghosts of Sunset on social media. Follow me on social media. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, take a look back at some of the other episodes that I've done. I'm sure there's some interviews that you'd enjoy. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, I'm everywhere now. iTunes, Spotify, iHeart. Uh, you can even see my ugly face if you're on YouTube. Uh, I suggest taking your glasses off or having 13 beers like John used to do. I look a lot better that way. Uh, thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day or night. And remember, head west, follow those dreams. Shoot for the moon, baby.